Hello, everybody, and welcome to Untether.tv. I'm your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. I have a very, very, very special guest today. This uh, We're going to be talking about an application that I have gone on about over and over and over again f since I found it, since I started using it, which is a, couple, a number of months ago. Um, and there's one reason that it's so it's been so powerful for me during this period, this last eight months uh, that I've been that I've been using the application. Uh, the app is called Memoir. The guest is uh, co-founder Lee Hoffman. He's in New York City. I'm going to tell you my story why this is such an amazing application for me at this moment. Uh, as many of you guys know at this point, uh, my mother passed on last September, just at the beginning of September. And, uh, you know, I found this application probably two or three or four weeks after that. So maybe early October. And what it does is it sucks in all of your photos from all of your social networks and all the locations that you've been. And it jams it into this beautiful interface that creates your history. And what started happening as I was going through this grieving process about my mother was I was getting pings of memories. You know, two years ago you were here, a year ago you were here, four years ago you were here, you did this, these are the tweets that you did. And what I started to find was the, the surfacing these memories that I had shared with my mother. And it was a very powerful, very emotional time obviously, but this application really, really helped me kind of go through that grieving process and into that remembering process. And if anybody's lost a loved one, that's exactly what happens. You go through this grieving, grieving, grieving process, and then you start to look at memories with, with fondness. And, and for me, memoir will always be in my head as that application that has still to this day, Mother's Day was recently and it surfaced these images of my mom and I on Mother's Day two years ago. So it has gone, it has almost been therapeutic. So to have Lee on here and talk about this application uh, is not only cool because it's a, an amazing application, but also because I, I feel like his app has been my, my therapist through this last eight months. And I'm going to bring Lee on. I know that was a long introduction, but you have to understand that emotional reaction is what every app maker should be wanting from their application. So, Lee, that's my intro. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time here. Thank you, Rob. That's actually a really, really moving story and exactly the type of stories we'd love to hear and, and make us want to build the product even more. Well, I, I mean, from the day that I that I uh, you know fully embraced what this application could do, uh, I've I've loved it, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on this week in location based marketing. Um, but I, you, I I gotta understand. So thank you for building it first and foremost. Thank you for building it. Thank you for surfacing those memories for me and for many 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 other people. Yes. Well, you got a lifetime user here. But I got to know why, why build it? What was, what was so compelling for you to be able to, you're, you're like a lifetime entrepreneur, aren't you? You yeah. co-founder yeah. since you were born basically, right? Uh, <laughs> but, Two years after. Yeah. Well, you got to get out of diapers, right? It's embarrassing going to pitch VCs in diapers, right? <laughs> Maybe pajamas, but um, so what was it that, that really compelled you guys to build this application? Yeah, I think it's, um, so for a number of years, I've kind of taken a lot of photos and um, I checked in, I kept a journal and um, for a long time, I kind of always assumed that that type of stuff would come back and be useful one day. And I think I distinctly remember um, going to, I think it was like coffee with one of my friends, this was years ago, and um, we were talking and I went home and I like started opening up my journal and I like happened to find a page from like five and a half years before where I'd been writing about that friend. And I remember thinking, wow, that is so cool. Like the fact that I was with that friend today and then I see this memory from like 
four and a half, five and a half years before, it had so much meaning because I was just with that friend. And that was kind of the initial insight where, you know, we have all of these memories that we're collecting now. Um, you know, five years ago, you used to have a point and shoot camera and you take like 20 photos and that was it in a six month period. Now we take 20 photos like an hour and they all go off into the other and we never look at them again. And what we're doing is we're trying to make those emotionally impactful by bringing them back into your life. So it's like a modern version of that photo album where you couldn't literally sit down and just browse through your photos and your memories anymore. There's just too many of them. So we break it into small chunks and we give them back to you when it's relevant, whether it's, you know, what you're doing with this friend, if you just see a friend, what you were doing the last time you were with a friend when you met that friend, or you go skiing again, we're going to play you memories from a, ski, a past ski trip or what you were doing, you know, seven years ago today. We look for those access points and we play them back to you when it's relevant, which makes them really, really emotionally, emotionally impactful. I can, I can attest to that for sure. And, and you know, what's, what's fascinating to me about the, that whole part is that I was just like you, exactly. Is that I'm putting all of this effort into cr leaving a trail, but there's really no, uh, I'm, there's no easy way to access the trail that I've left, right? So I was using something like uh, Day One, uh, which was a journaling application long before it became, uh, you know, a little bit more robust. And, and uh, you know, I was frantically, I was telling, you know, I was, I was documenting my life and then I would, uh, and but I, it, it took too much effort. So I was always looking for that solution that would just do it automatically and then I could enhance it or share it if I wanted to. And that's when I came across memoir. So uh, a great, 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 great application. Um, so you, you've uh, you co-founded this, but your past is very much as I, I was I wasn't joking, is that you, you've you're an entrepreneur, right? You're looking for opportunities. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've been doing this pretty much, pretty much since I was 17, which, which means largely just being willing to fail over and over and over and over again for over a decade is really what that transits into. Yeah, and, and be broke for a little while. I mean, be very, very, I, I joke, I used to joke with my friends that the new starving artist is the new starving entrepreneur. And it's and you know it, it absolutely is and and uh, but you you've had many uh, like initiatives like was there anything similar to this like what what's your what does your past look no, like? Um, no, I mean uh, so um, I started in tech really young. I was I was writing code and um, my like first real job through a weird series of like coincidences and, and whatever I ended up running technology and e-commerce for a dot com when I was like seventeen. <laughs> And uh, that was kind of my first exposure to it. And uh, there was a lot of crazy stuff that would go on. They flew the whole company to Vegas. We had an on-hand massage therapist, some pretty nice stuff. Um, but that was my first exposure when I remember just, just absolutely loving it. Like when I was a little kid, I used to get to build with Legos. Uh, I used to build with Legos all the time. And I loved it. You build something, you have this thing that was like, done at the end and uh, I often think that what I get to do now is kind of like building with Legos just on a way bigger scale and when I'm done not only do I get to have it and use it but like theoretically millions of other people get to use it as well. Yeah and why well, and hopefully that, that that is the case. Um, talk about this this whole process of building this application so you know this was launched in the fall of last year September of, of 2013 if, if you're listening to this 20 years down the road. Um, but you said that you've been developing this for two years. Talk about that process. What was what was what was that process of development like? So after I came off my last startup um, in a totally different space, really, I was building a company um, that made boilers energy efficient. Amazing cash flow generating business. Totally the opposite of of, of memoir in every imaginable way. Um, uh, 
I've, uh, I started a company called um, what became Ferry. It was an online learning company with a couple of people, and we got into TechStars and we were building it. And basically, we'd gotten to the point where we had a nice little business that involved creating educational content. And um, I think everybody was just bored and miserable. There are people that are so passionate about education and so passionate about content. Um, I don't think anybody on the team was on either. Wow. Uh, so why go into it then? Uh, we went into it because I was very passionate about the space. Like the idea of like the education system being completely screwed up was has been something that's been like a personal issue for me. Um, but the act of actually creating content and teaching through content wasn't, and that's what the business had become. And um, we raised the seed round, and I think we got to this point where. We were kind of like holding on to it because it was a decent business, but none of us were super passionate about it. And as a purely large side project, memoir was the idea, the core of memoir was something that I had wanted for a while. My co-founder, Angela, had wanted. We talked about it for a while, and I kind of just said, you know what, let's just build this as a fun side project. This will keep the team excited. We'll get to do something really fun and interesting. You know, and that'll keep us excited with like the real business. And um, <laughs> we did that and we started working on it. And I remember the, the, the literally we built like the shittiest MVP possible. And we didn't even put, have like real analytics. We just had a page that printed out every email address of the people we had put in every single day. So like the next day, the page would clear and it would be the new email addresses. And we started very quickly noticing that huge swaths of the people that went on would like the email addresses would appear every single day. And I think that was kind of our first hint that we were on to something. And um, slowly but surely the product basically ate the company. And um, yeah, it took us the well, part of what makes memoir unique in the space is that it's so driven by data science. So like we take photos and we figure out which of those photos go together. So if I'm standing over here and I take a bunch of photos and I walk across the street, it knows they're different photos. It figures out where you are, what you're doing, who you're with, and then it plays those things back to you and fills in the blanks with the people that are with you. And that's tremendous, tremendous heavy data science and driven by a lot of really complex algorithms that took a long time to get right. And um, we were a really small team. We were like three or four people at the time. And uh, yeah, we just, we basically were working on it. We saw we were onto something. We kept iterating it and iterating it and iterating it. And um, around September, our numbers, our retention numbers were exceptional. So we're like, you know, time to get this out. And uh, we launched it and we literally didn't expect very much. We expected, we knew that we had good retention. So we knew we'd start building and slowly grow. And we were just knocked upside the, the side of our head. We, had hundreds of thousands of downloads in very short periods of time. The servers completely <laughs> melted. We literally, we literally, there was like a two-month period of time where I think the entire team was sleeping like two hours at a time, just trying to get things to scale. We had to lock people out for like a month and a half. I'm so sorry, by the way, to anybody who was locked out for like a month. We were trying really, really hard to get users in as fast as possible. And um, yeah, so uh, now we have a bigger team and we're, we're making the architecture a lot more scalable and we're going back and we're making the product just so much simpler and doing some really awesome new stuff that you all get to see hopefully in the next month or two. Well, I, I remember when I signed up, it took uh, like five or six days to crunch yeah. the data, right? Um, yeah. 
and and because it is uh, like it is data intensive as you said um you know to bring all of that in together to be able to to create a story or narrate your story that way uh, uh but you know as you're building this over two years um you know did you always think it was this complex did you think it would be an easy problem to solve and were you surprised by how how deep and and how yeah, tough it was when we started building it we built a very like rudimentary algorithm and um, already we started to see there were some serious complexities. So we have, we have multiple levels of technological complexity. We have platform complexity. So like your photos and memories are all over the place, right? So like they're on Facebook, they're on your phone, they're on your desktop computer, they're on Instagram or on Foursquare. And each of those represents a big piece of your memory. So just by definition, we're dealing with tons of different data sources. And then secondarily, we're trying to make sense of those and unify them into one cohesive structure so we know who you're with, where you are, what you're doing, when it happens, so we can both make it easier to share them, but also play them back to you when it's relevant. And I think it very quickly became apparent that this was going to be one of the most, if not the most technologically complex thing I'd ever worked on. And um, I can say hands down, we had a team of the most talented developers I've ever worked with in my life. And I think on a regular basis, at least bi-weekly, we all kind of look at each other and we're like, wow, this is so complex and such a difficult challenge. But it's also immensely exciting because we're, we're solving problems that nobody's ever solved before. We're dealing with levels of data that very few companies have, like even a, even a company like Instagram or like a Facebook that has you know hundreds of millions of users. Like you go on a Facebook, you go on Instagram, you post you know let's say I don't know one or two photos a day. If you're a super active user, so after a year you have like a few hundred photos. Within five minutes of signing up, we usually have anywhere from ten to twenty thousand items per user. That is an enormous challenge. So uh, we were hitting scales at you know only six months old. We're hitting scales that some of these giant tech companies are hitting after being in existence for ten years with like the entire population on. So it's a very very complex technical challenge, but it's also incredibly exciting. And the more and more users who use the product, it, and you see the reactions like yours validates it and makes it and makes it worth every every, every moment. Did you, I mean, it's, it's such a typical line of questions that I'm going to ask you, but but as you're, as you're building this, because it's, it's interesting to talk about scaling, right? Because that's always the challenge, right? The, the, the data intense nature of memoir, because it's pulling in from everybody else, it does create, as you said, 10 to 20,000 bits of information that you bring together into a story. Uh, when you were building this out, did you did you use like lean methodology to build the product out and just kind of you, you built your MVP and was that a good idea in hindsight? Would you have done that again? I think we did most. There are not many things I look back and say, "Wow, we did that totally wrong." Because so <laughs> far things have gone well. So um, looking back, there's not much that radically changed. Um, we, in retrospect, I might have put out build publicly faster. Um, I come from a very like um, serious background in the startup. Like Eric Reese is one of our advisors and um, we were building lean start courses at very like with Eric. So uh, we're definitely big proponents of that methodology. Um, and we were iterating. I think there's a what's interesting is I think that there's a very different model for mobile iteration versus 
traditional web or whatever, or, or any other technological um, iteration that's existed for 10 years. With web iteration, the way that people have been doing for the last five or six years, you put out a product and you can literally deploy the product to new changes and experiments 10 times a day, right? Mm -hmm. With mobile, it doesn't work that way. Um, there are a variety of reasons behind that, but one is that you have to actually go through the app store approval process, which is a significant delay. The second is there's a cadence that's optimal for apps to be deployed. You don't want to be launching builds every 30 seconds to the app store. So by definition, you're going to have a longer process. Um, and um, there's also all kinds of dynamics in the app store about like how um, when you get downloads that you know like leads to more downloads and, and things like that. So it's not so easy to do it. So what we've what we've found is the most effective strategy for being able to still maintain lean iterative principles, but also take advantage of the app store and play nicely there, is to iterate privately on private builds that we distribute to our team and a select number of, of testers. We will deploy our builds like that five, ten times a day. Um, same thing to the server. And then every X weeks or months, we deploy a build to the app store, which you know incorporates the learnings that we have from the you know much faster iteration privately. Yeah, I mean that that makes that makes a lot of sense to me, um, because you're right that that cadence is so important. And I remember Evernote went into that whole process. I mean, it was every second day we were getting a new update from Evernote as it was uh, you know uh, squashing bugs early on in its existence, and it was a big complaint. Whereas you know beforehand you would look at that as a very responsive development team, right? And now it's a complaint. It's a pain because they're updating so often. Yeah. Uh, going back to um, when you're in TechStars and you're in you're you're in the education space and you do a side project which is to satisfy the soul as opposed to you know what you were doing with work because that's what it sounds like your startup became um, and you said you get seed investment at that point how did you how did you say that's to that's your that's going to a bunch of investors that gave you a million dollars and saying hey and we we knew. Um, we were, we were lucky in a couple of ways. One, we had some of the top investors in the world who um, are the top investors because I think that they look at it the right way, which is that they're more investing in us and our gut than they are a specific product. Um, I think also, um, you know, I hope that they would say we handled it well and that we didn't just go to them and say, this is what we're doing, by the way, and tell them five weeks after we did it. You know, they were, we, we tried to go out of our way to keep our investors up to date and, and as we were making decisions, get them involved in those decisions so that they had an input and felt like they owned part of the decision. Um, and I think those were two major inputs. And I would say, you know, pretty universally, every one of our investors said, you know, if you believe in this direction, you should definitely do it, um, which made it a lot easier to do. Do they really, like, I, I hear that a lot is that they invest in the team. Um, yeah. is, is that... Are those words, or does, is that is that really true? And if so, how do you how do you become the team that investors are willing to invest in? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a differential between what the investment criteria is when they are actually investing, and then how you operate and manage your investment once you made that investment. Right. right? So when obviously any intelligent, sane investor is going to look at every signal imaginable to try to figure out what is the most likely investment to succeed and be a huge success, right? So they're going to look at how much traction does your product have? Does, do the entrepreneurs have a credible track record? Um, who else is investing? I mean, there are all these like minute signals, right? Um, I think it's very different once they invest. Like the smart investors, once they invest, realize that 
Um, you know, the success, there's almost nothing anybody outside of the team itself can do to really radically affect the success or failure of a startup. Unless you're thinking about your product 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly trying to like solve the problems that are coming up, you're, you're very unlikely to have a material impact. And so the only people that can really do that are the founders and the people that work with the founders, the team. And so I think the investors, once they made the investment, investment intelligently, um, realize that if they want, if there's any chance of the company being a success, the founders have to be excited and passionate. And you know, even if the founders fail, it's unlikely that they would have succeeded by an investor saying, "No, you can't do that, or you shouldn't do that, or you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be unsuccessful because it's not gonna help the situation." So, um, I think that's the dichotomy. I don't actually think that most investors go in and say, "We are purely funding these guys and don't give a shit about anything else." <laughs> um, although that does happen on occasion, especially if you like start a Facebook or an Instagram. Um, but um, you have a, you have that track record, right? That, uh, yeah. that I mean, I, I think at a certain point you can. You know, if you accomplish certain things, it becomes a lot easier. But even there, I, I have heard of many, I know many entrepreneurs who have been very successful. And it's not always easy raising the next round, you know, unless people are really buying in. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I hear you. I mean, is it, um, did you get the contacts from these guys, for these investors through Techstars, through your involvement in Techstars? Yeah, huge piece of our network came from Techstars. Yeah. Um, David Tish, who ran the program when we were there, was, I mean, unbelievable. I mean. Um, like three weeks into the program, um, we met Joel Spolsky and uh, literally, I think two hours after meeting, he sent me an email. He's like, okay, great. Uh, we're going to meet every, every Monday at 11 a.m. And I'm like, okay. You don't argue there. <laughs> really like every Monday at 11 a.m. He was sitting there and like tearing apart the product with us and diving in and, you know, making intros. And I mean, that type of relationship and Joel, I would consider a good friend today. It is immensely, immensely valuable, and I credit Tish tremendously with rallying amazing people like Joel and Fred Wilson and others to really get behind the program when they did it. What would Joel do for you? Like, what what would the typical meeting be with with Joel in those early days? <laughs> it, it ranged from, um, you know, this is a dynamic of a social product that we've discovered that you should be thinking about to. Um, uh, emotional support <laughs> to, um, oh, you're fundraising now, here's how I approach it, these are the people I'm going to introduce, introduce you to and tell them that I've never made an angel investment before, but I'm investing in you. So that's like, like there have been a few people that have just been immensely, immensely impactful on my, on my career and my work, and, and Joel is definitely one of them. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, the... Um... Uh, you know, a lot of people think that these guys are unapproachable or that uh, that they're too busy for you or that they, they really can't contribute. But but it, it's obvious because these guys, these are the mentors of this technology community and, and they've gone through all of this and they can actually help and they will help, right? I, I think, you know, I think there are everything in, like, at least from my perception, ask me 10 years later if I still agree, but... Everything I've seen so far in success in startups and life and businesses is a step function, right? Like, it's very hard to go from step one to step 30, right? Like, occasionally yeah. the crazy thing happens, you just build some little prototype in the room and, like, it takes off and you have a billion users, but that's not how 99.99% of companies are built. 99.9.9% of companies are built where you're on step one and you find a way to get to step two, which eventually finds a way to get to step three, which eventually finds a way to get to step four. 
And I think, you know, building like relationships are a huge part of that because the people that you know and the people that you like interact with and who feel vested in you and your product, you know, go a long way to helping on a whole number of different fronts. And, you know, I think one of the things that I missed for so many years early in my career was I always assumed you just build an awesome product and everything solves itself. And really that's only half of the puzzle. The other half of the puzzle are the relationships that help give you the timing, the runway, the resources to actually be able to realize and work with amazing people to get that product to be awesome. And I wonder, if there, do you feel a certain amount of pressure? Because you said you had Eric Reese that's on your board, you have Joel as a friend, and, and you went through Techstars. Do you kind of have that, does, does it put pressure, like that celebrity pressure on you guys? To, yeah, to... I don't think it's celebrity pressure. I mean, most of most of the people like Joel and, and Martin Masters, um, they're, I think they're, they want to see us, to be, see us being successful. So like when we need help, they're there to help. Um, I don't really feel pressure in that way. I feel pressure from, in the same way I've always felt pressure with every startup I've done where, you know, you're not only putting your, like, life and your mental energy and everything you have, and often everything financially you have <laughs> as well, into what you're working on. Every relationship, every penny. Every, literally everything. Everything, yeah. Into whatever you're working on. Um, but you're also, you know, you're often taking money from people you, like, incredibly respect. You have people whose salaries and livelihoods now depend on you, and you're publicly putting your name out attached to the things you're building. Those are pressure. That is pressure. But, um, and you know, it's you know, I think part of the, the hardest thing to do, and, and the thing that's honestly the most challenging long term as an entrepreneur, is to be able is, is emotional self discipline to be able to deal with those constant ups and downs because whenever you have everything in the world so much riding on one thing you're in every little bump is going to feel like a cliff mm -hmm. and if you don't if you're not able to deal with that and you're not able to control your emotions so that you can be emotionally calm and steady for everybody else around you it is never going to work um and i think that's one of the hardest things that i've had to learn the thing that i that i think i've worked the hardest at over the years of doing I mean, you're a lifetime entrepreneur, and, and like I, I'm a lifetime entrepreneur, and, and the way I kind of describe that is that, you know, I play the guitar as well, right? And and uh, not very well by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> it, it often sits right there, but, uh, um, you know, you develop calluses on your finger to be able to depress, push down on the strings, and then it doesn't hurt, right? It, at some point, it you cross over and it doesn't hurt anymore. But I think of entrepreneurship as the same way is that, uh, you know, I've been doing it since I was so young that I've developed this full body callus to that exact thing, right? Is that being an entrepreneur, you're, you're going a thousand miles an hour, an inch off the ground. So you know that every wobble can completely destroy you. Yeah. But but you've been doing it long enough that you built that full body callus that says, look, I, I mean, I can take it. I can absorb a lot of crap right. without. And it still hurts when you step on a nail, even with the callus. Yeah, exactly. It still does. <laughs> it all the time. But yes, the, it hurts a little bit less. Well, so when you're building this app, okay, so you're going through this process of, of two years uh, of kind of establishing, understanding it, understanding the complexity, trying to figure it all out. Uh, is there any point in time where, where you where you just kind of pull back and you think, like, I'm building an app. Uh, like, you know, I, I go from something that was that was pretty big and pretty uh, stable and it was a good income. And now I'm going to something that may or may not have a business model. But in the end, people are going to look at it and make a judgment on the fact that it's on a small screen and it's a mobile app. Was there ever any kind of like that? I don't like in this. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. It's, um, it's, it's very interesting because 
Um, no matter what type of business I'm in, the grass is always greener. <laughs> sure. Right? So my last, my last business where we were basically selling a service to manage boilers with software. Um, it's like a SaaS based service to building homes. Um, I remember thinking when we were doing that, God, those guys at like Facebook and Instagram have such <laughs> an easy life. Like I have to convince a guy to give me like $100,000. Do you know how hard it is to convince somebody to give you $100,000? All these guys have to do is convince somebody to like push a button. It doesn't even cost anything. Do you know how easy their life is? And then you get over to that world and you're like, Jesus, like if I just had, if I just could just sell one guy at a time, on $100,000, life would be so easy. Do you know how hard it is to get 500 million people to, to use your product and to, to like tell their friends about it and to download it? That is so hard. So, so you know, the grass is always greener. With that said, you know, I think the thing that drives me on any business is twofold. One, either I or my co-founder universally have to, and this is a rule I will never break anymore, have to, acutely feel the pain or desire of the product. This is a product that like I've wanted for years. It's a product my co-founders wanted for years. We use it every single day. Um, that is an immensely driving force because I want to see it exist in the, in the world. The second piece is I think you have to have a vision of why this can be meaningfully impactful to like a large number of people. How you can actually have an impact on the world. And you know, with memoir, Yes, it is a mobile app, right? That is the incarnation of the product right now. However, we have a very definitive vision, right? Like, if you kind of imagine what it's like to, like, imagine those sci-fi reality movies, right? Where um, you have, like, artificial memory, right? Where, like, human beings now have this, like, perfect memory because they have some kind of, like, plug into a computer that, like, manages that, right? What would that look like? Well. You would probably have like you probably walk down the street and you'd like look up at a building and immediately like uh, projected on your display would be you know oh remember when you were here like four and a half years ago um, and you were at a party and you see a couple of photos of the, the party you jump into the party and not only do you see the party from your perspective but you see the party from all of your friends' perspectives that were there observing the party as well or I bump into a friend and it's like. Remember when you first met Joe 9.4 years ago and right over his head, again, the same memory you can jump into, you can see it from your perspective, you can see it from Joe's perspective. And if you look at the trends, we just wrote a really interesting blog post on this, but if you look at the trends, the number of photos that people are capturing is purely exponential, which means you can predict with very high likelihood that there will be a point in the next four or five years where every moment of your life will be recorded. And there'll be a point where you have some kind of device, whether it's Google Glass or something like that down the road in two, three, four, five years, that's able to play it back. And literally, if you have those two devices, our software, as it works today, can implement the reality I pitched to you two minutes ago. So whether it's us or somebody else, I firmly believe that somebody is going to make this augmented memory. And to me, that is an amazingly exciting concept, not only because you actually, I think that's a huge benefit to society, but I also think it's a huge emotional impact. The thing that I always, always like kind of quote on the emotional side is imagine you're sitting with your kids, right? And your kids ask you, what was it like to meet mom? And instead of sitting there trying to describe it in some abstract concept, you say, you say, let me show you. Amazing. That to me is amazing. And that's the product we're building. And so that makes me, I literally wake up every day excited to get to work 
because I know that if we do a good job and we work hard and we like we make this work, that's the vision we're going to be able to implement in the next five years. Yeah, and, and the way that you just described that, like you know, it transcends. Like the screen, the small screen that we use these on right now is is a gateway. And, and that's the way that it is, right? And what you're doing behind the scenes, you know, I was looking at it this afternoon and I was surfacing my memory and, and, and you know, I'll tell you that one year ago today and, and whatever date it is today, I think it's the 14th, right? The 15th. Um, one year ago today, uh, it was the opening of Star Trek, right? The movie in the theater, right? So, I, I mean, you know, I took some pictures of Klingons yeah. that were at this, at this movie. Theater. So, but I, I love that. Like, I love that, right? So, uh, you know, you know, the benefit is is uh, is incredible as it as it uh, as it shows me my life back and and it actually reminds us of the things that we've done. But you had to have thought, um, how how do you how do you convince somebody to use this? You like it. Your co-founder liked it. I love it. Um, your team loves it. Uh, you managed to make this switch away from the education side into this. Your investors are are, are your seed investors are are on board. Um, but then. Like when you're, we start to get a lot of people coming back and a lot of people sharing it. Um, it. There has to be some kind of kick. Like, how do you market this when you launched last September? What What did you do? So, um, I think there's difference in like um, sprint-based marketing and durational marketing. So, like sprint-based marketing, like where we were like, we have a short period of time. We're launching this app. What can we do? Right. Mm -hmm. And there, we did we did a lot of prep. We did our homework. We like reached out to a lot of journalists. We had our story down. We knew why the story was compelling. What about the story was compelling? We already had done the demo of the product a bazillion times. We knew exactly what to demo that was like would get people's eyes to open up. Um, and that was you know a key driver of like the short term stuff. Long term, it's all driven by. How do we get a user that's on the product today to want to tell five of their friends that this is the greatest product ever, you have to download it. And um, a big piece of that is that, and this is what we're focusing on with version 2.0 to make this even more prominent and we're going to do some really cool stuff, but um, is that you know the product is inherently social. If you and I go to dinner together, right, and we're both memoir users, and I take a bunch of photos, at the end of the night, you're going to get a little ping that says, hey, do you want the photos that we took of you guys at um, Red Lobster, wherever awesome place we're eating at? Um, and that works back in time, too. You'll go into the product, and you'll see, hey, I have, um, you know, like five, five years ago today, um, your wife, Jen, and her sister, um, Emily have photos from your trip to Cancun. Those are memories you've never seen before and you didn't even do any work to get them and now they're part of your collective memory. And that is a huge driver of reality for us. People, when, they, when, when you know that by getting your friends on the product you're going to get the memories more easily, um, that's a big piece of it. And I think the other piece is just that it's, it adds a lot of delight to people's lives when you see really interesting memories from the past. You're naturally inclined to send them to the people that are relevant to that memory and talk about how awesome it is and that those are drivers of, of reality and downloads. Would that be the like the, the second phase of this? Is that the first phase that you guys went through is is getting it out and, and sharing through your you, you know your your close network, um, and then the second piece, which is the 2.0, which is now let's let's grow this exponentially by seriously seriously creating a social atmosphere in this, where where you, the goal is to bring as many people in in your. That's exactly, that's exactly what we're focusing on. We we have it in, we have the, the pieces of it in version one, but they're not very clear, they're not really brought front and center. 
Um, the users that discover it and figure out how to use it are tremendously engaged, um, but um, that's something we're heavily focusing on for V2.0. Yeah, you know, it's funny because that blog post that you're talking about, which is up on, uh, you know, at getmemoir.com uh, in the blog, it really talks about the number of photos you take versus the number of photos you share, right? So, like, uh, you take uh, how many, you know, way more photos than you actually share publicly. But this is like that dark net, right, where you're, you're sharing privately, but it's still considered sharing photos. And I think that that should be the goal is that sharing not only with my wife and my friends and my family, but extended friends and family that were at that Star Trek premiere a year ago. Maybe not the Klingons. They seemed a little. <laughs> yeah, it's not really Klingons. No, no Klingons. Oh, so I, I, maybe maybe you can answer this or not. But um, when you when you're uh, reaching out to journalists, is there one was there one or two that really pushed you over that that really created a a strong buzz for the product that had an impact on downloads? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just one of the interesting things with the with the app store is you don't actually know where your downloads are coming from. Yeah. So um, we know that there was a lot of press. We know that there was a lot of um, talk on Facebook and Twitter. We know that we were featured at some point. Like, you don't really know where the downloads are coming from. So it's it's really hard to isolate out that. I also think that there's a multiplier effect when there are a lot of people talking about you at right. once. It tends to like I have a distinct theory on products where people tend to download them after they've heard them X number of times. So when you have like a bunch of people yelling all at once, um, that gets you to that point really quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's any particular that I can specifically highlight. No, you know, it's just, it's always interesting because of that, that approach, right? Is that the more people talking about it, uh, it, it does, it reaches it. And maybe, you know, I'm just trying to remember where I, where I found out about it. It might've been Scoble. It might've been something like this where uh, somebody talked about it enough and, and, uh, and it just resonated with me right away. Um, just, a, just a few more questions around this is that, uh, you know, part of great applications um, are, are, is a great user experience and a great user interface um, and knowing when to build what, right? So you, you know, the app itself is amazing because not only can I sit there and, uh, you know, browse through, you know, my history intertwined with recent memories. So last year and today and yesterday, um, all with a, you know, within the application. But then I, I get these beautiful notifications that just, that, that draw me right back in. We were talking before we started recording is that, that that is one of the greatest pieces of this is that I'm always fascinated. Like, hey, you have two memories from a year ago today. Oh, are you near here? You have a memory that's near here, right? And yeah. so talk about that, that balance because, you know, when we talk about notifications as being the new operating system, you're right in the middle of this because it's so important to your application. What was the balance between UI, UX, and notifications? Yeah, I think that we think about everything we do from the user perspective as what's going to add value to the user, right? So like, I think the trouble that a lot of startups get into is they say, okay, our end goal is to have as many users as possible, and they start optimizing towards that. And it's a natural instinct, right? You, you're like, you like, you have a product, you want to optimize towards more users, more downloads, right? And so you think, all right, well, if I throw this notification, does it actually drive more engagement? I think that's an important thing to do, but I always think it's also important to ask, is this actually adding value? Because there are a lot of things you can do that temporarily get more, more downloads, more engagement that are gonna hurt you long-term. And so we always think about that a lot. We think about how do we give you notifications that are gonna be really interesting and useful, but not too many of them, or in a way that's gonna be cumbersome or, or uninteresting. Yeah, and was there, was there internal 
debate around what was too much, what was too little, how often? We tried it, honestly, um, and we bring people in off the street all the time. We talk to users all the time. And one of the cool things about having a product with a lot of users is that people will talk, tell you what they think without even you asking. Perfect. Uh, we have an amazing, amazing community manager. Um, her name is India, who basically uh, fields every, all the emails with tons and tons of emails and tweets and things that come in every single day. And I assure you, when we make changes, people will let their opinion be known. So uh, it's, it gives us a good check on our own internal assumptions and the ones that we see by putting it into test mode. I love it. What about money? Like, what about making money off of this? Yeah. Because you know, you, you come from your last business, which was very, you know, as you sold, here's a product, we're gonna sell it, it's gonna provide value to you, you're gonna pay us, and we're gonna go on to the next one. Yeah. And you're gonna pay us ongoing because there's ongoing value. Uh, something like this, I mean, you know, uh, my hope is that you charge me for something because I, I want this product to be here in a year or two years down the road, right? So how do you, do you guys think yeah, about right. revenue? Yeah, we do, we do. I mean, it's not something we're focusing on right now. We're very lucky. We're very well funded. We have um, a lot of cash and resources, so we don't have to focus on that. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I think one of the things we, we think a lot about is where do we want to be? Who do we want our customer to be? Do we want our customer to be the user or do we want our customer to be an advertiser? And I think given our type of product, we very much want our customer to be the user holding your most private and sensitive things um, and I think that's a very deep trust that we take very seriously and so um, we think we don't have specific plans but we have thoughts around revenue particularly around the idea of um, offering premium tiers um, I'll ever know and some other products where we give you certain things for um, X dollars a year um, and um, really, we care about having a small percentage of people pay, but still keep the product as it is today, 100% free for everybody that wants to use it. Uh, you know, I, I like this 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 idea because the data is of great value as well, right? So you're accumulating all of that data and and displaying you know your history. Uh, and I, I mean, I think that what we're doing in the world right now with, with these mobile devices that we carry, um, Facebook, with Instagram, with Twitter, all of these social networks, and unfortunately, they're only seven years old, right? At the at the at the most, really, from a from a consumer standpoint, is we are quite literally uh, we're quantifying ourselves for our children, right? So I have two kids, and I love the idea that they're going to be able to look back and see exactly what I did three or four years ago, five years ago. Or when they, when I was, when you know, when they're in their, you know, you know, twenties and thirties, they'd be able to see what I did in my twenties and thirties. Maybe not everything, um, but you play, you play right into that. And I love the idea of documenting life. We've been trying yeah. to do this all of our time. Me, me too, and it's it's really the core of the product. Um, and uh, you know, part of me, in some way, I think that one of the appeals of the product is kind of like a sense of immortality. Like if your life is captured, not only is it there for you, but like. It's more importantly there to share with the people that you care about both now and in the future. And that's a pretty cool thing to me. And um, I think it's also a thing that in specific ways some people may pay for. So um, we think we are thinking about it, but it's definitely not a top priority right now. Do you think that there's a do you think that there's a a a natural inflection point where people are willing to open up their wallet? Like do you think that, you know, it, it's like they're gonna start asking you on ways to pay? We uh, we already have a lot of users that both ask us um, how we make money uh, because they want to trust us with their stuff and not understanding that creates a level of, of um, vagary that, that 
Interesting. Um, I also, there are also a number of things that we know people want very desperately and I'm pretty certain we'll pay for um, and they're actually more costly things to provide. So um, that works out very nicely. All right, last question, and then I'm gonna let you go. I really appreciate Lee. This has been amazing. Like I, I've just, I've really enjoyed this. I got to get you back on, um, and just talk about everything. <laughs> uh, what about uh, so? When you look out and you start to think about what what you're doing with memoir, and you start to look at this convergence of where you are with software and the technology that's emerging, is there anything that that immediately jumps out and says like like I'm so excited about that tech because it's gonna have a huge impact on our business? Yeah. Um... I think, you know, I think Google Glass came out and I have a glass, I don't use it, I don't think anybody really does, and I think it kind of like let all the air out of the, the balloon, unfortunately, hmm. but I think all of these augmented reality technologies, um, actually all transformative technology come in waves, right? So like, um, I look at Glass very much like I looked at the first like Palm Pilot, right? It was like, I remember seeing it, and I remember this is like in the 90s, and like looking at it, I'm like, something really cool about this and yet I have absolutely no need for this whatsoever. But I'm going to spend uh, 400 bucks anyways. Right. But I'm going to put down $400 for <laughs> a physical glass, $1,500 yeah. to do it. Um, I think there are a bunch of technology like that. I think the narrative camera is another one. I think Oculus is another one. Yeah. Um, and I think they're not there yet. We're, we're two, three, four, five years away. But when those technologies come online, it is huge new wave of innovation. Because, like, it's almost predictable about where things are going, right? You're going to walk down the street, you're going to have either your, like, cool-looking glasses that look like normal glasses, way like normal glasses, um, and are projecting display, or even the contact lens. Um, you're going to walk down the street, and you're going to, like, look at a restaurant, and overlaid on top of the restaurant's name is going to be, you know, like, the Yelp star reviews, the three friends that last went there, their, like, thoughts on the restaurant. You're going to see a person's face, and it's going to immediately be like, you first met Rob here, and it's going to pull up this video, show us the memories of like what we when we first met, and the other times we've been together. Um, these are immensely, immensely useful and like game-changing technologies, and you can see where it's going. It's just not there yet. The technology hasn't gotten gotten to the point, both in terms of battery and in terms of actual physical dimensions, to work. But I have no doubt that we are going to enter a world where augmented reality and virtual reality converge. Um, and those two things, that's a pretty amazing future. God, I can't um, wait. So I, I, I'm very excited about it, and I'm excited to get to build a product for it, and um, I can't wait to, to see it happen. The grand vision right there, neither can I, because I, I get a terrible memory. I get a terrible memory. Yeah, so I, I, I was at a... Uh, I was at a, a little, uh, you know, a cafe or a restaurant for breakfast a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, somebody that I spoke to um, um, or spoke in front of, I said, hey, I thought I saw you. I thought I saw you there. Uh, was that you? And I said, yeah, it was me. And he said, oh, man, you look much younger in person. And I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to think, of, is that a compliment or not? Uh, but either I look old on video or I look much younger in, in, in person. I don't know, whatever it is. But I was just thinking, like, he was upset because he didn't have an opportunity to say hi. And I'm like, you should just walk up. Like, we're, we're so uh, concerned about what people are going to say. If, if it wasn't me, they would just say, no, it's not me. But, uh, but with these little technologies, you can get the little prompt that you need in order to be able to be reassured that you can go up and, and say hi. And, and just, yeah, I, I love it. I always, I always think that like there's, you know, there are, there are products like highlight that I think like are a little bit early in certain ways, but like 
are like hitting on this nerve where it's like you're standing in an elevator next to another human being and like you have no reference point for starting a conversation. But like you're actually, most likely there are reference points, right? Like most likely you both like the same movie or like you have a mutual friend or you went to the same school or something like that. And like sometimes serendipitously, like the person will be wearing a shirt that has your college name on it, or you'll recognize them from like a party you're at your friend's house. But like most times not. And I think technology can can very much like bridge that gap. And that's a really cool idea. Man, I can't. Well, I can't wait to see the future that you're talking about. Uh, and I know that you guys are going to be square in the middle of it. And and the only hope is that. You know, uh, you guys, I, I want you to be around in a year or two, whatever it, whatever it takes. Uh, I'll open my wallet for it just so that so that I can use the product because I love it so much. And I know that you guys who are listening or watching, you will as well. And, and you'll be surprised at how powerful this simple process of bringing everything into one interface and then having it displayed for you, how, how powerful that is. It'll surface things that you just completely forgot about. Pictures of your kids from five or six years ago, you will have completely forgot about. We live in this digital world where we take a thousand pictures a day and we don't look at them again. We just file them off. We don't hang them on walls. We don't print them out anymore. We post them to Facebook and forget about them or we don't even do anything with them. Let memoir surface those for you. So go and download this application. I implore you, you will never, ever, ever be the same. I swear to God. That's it, <laughs> done. Done, Lee, uh, so we just send people to yourmemoir.com? Yeah, yourmemoir.com, or you can go to the App Store and type in M-E-M-O-I-R memoir. Go and download this. You will be, it, 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 it'll transfix you. So please go yourmemoir.com or go to the App Store, just search for memoir. And uh, let me know what you think. And I'm sure that Lee would love to know as well. So yeah, you can reach out to me. Yeah, you on Weave Your Memoir. I'm at Lee M. Hoffman. You're welcome to get in touch with me or at Memoir anytime. We'd love to hear feedback. Uh, that would be great. Please do so. And tell everybody that you heard about it here, if this is the first time that you've, uh, you've heard about memoir. And hopefully it isn't. This is just a recap. Lee, two things. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being on Untethered.tv. And the second thing, and it's the most important thing, is thank you for building memoir. I truly, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Robin. Really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure to meet people that are not only excited about the product, but excited about the vision. So thank you. Uh, my pleasure. We've been speaking with Lee Hoffman, who's a co-founder of Memoir. Go to yourmemoir.com. You guys out there listening, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you so much for taking a moment out of your day to listen to Untether.tv. And we'll be back next time. See you later, Lee.